Good morning, everybody. All ten of you, and the rest online. Uh, just before coming in here, my son asked me, "How long are you going to preach for?" And I said, "My usual, 15 minutes." And he didn't look too excited. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I'm just kidding. So when I was growing up, I grew up uh, most of my formative years in the United States. I remember growing up in a rural town, kind of like this, kind of like Auburn, very small rural farming community. Um, on Sunday, we'd go to church in the morning, Sunday school for one hour, and then we'd have a service. We usually have lunch with uh, church folks, and different people invite, you know, people who worship together. And then we would spend the afternoon napping, just relaxing, going out, catching frogs or crayfish. And then we'd go to evening service. On Wednesdays, we'd meet for youth group on a Wednesday service for adults. And I'd go to children's church. We'd have skate nights. Friday night, we'd go to church again. And we would just get together so many times a week. And our lives involved around the church family. And that was really exciting. And it's very different nowadays. But I do look back and just start counting all the friends that I had growing up and how they're doing. And many of them uh, do not walk with the Lord anymore, even though their ch childhood uh, revolved around the church, sound teaching, and so on and so forth. And you start wondering, why do some of us still love Jesus and, and want to walk with Him and want to honor Him, whereas the majority of us, I would say maybe 70%, do not walk with Jesus anymore, of the, of the group that I grew up with. And that is very true uh, in many other communities. Back in the 80s and 70s and even the 90s, church was strong, the community was vibrant, but the next generation have has chosen to leave the way of life that we were so used to, being revol uh, revolving around the church family, revolving around the fellowship in the Word. And so we start thinking, why does that happen? How about my children? How about the next generation? Um, and I think it's because often, even though we grow up in the church, even though we hear all this religious and uh, scriptural teachings, we are taught to be double-minded. We are taught to love the world and love the Lord. And somehow in this, in this time in history, we are taught that it can be possible to love the world and the Lord. One of the ways that I was encouraged as a child was to, hey, glorify God by becoming successful in what you do. And I often cite this uh, to my children, too. I had a friend who said, I'm going to become a fashion designer and glorify God by designing beautiful clothes. And we hear these kind of things. And those are the people that eventually kind of walk away from the faith. But they do become successful in what they do. So that's what I want to touch upon today. Wow, that's already five minutes of introduction. So I guess we do have to go 15 minutes. 
Thank you for reading the scripture today, and you briefly introduced uh, about Jesus entering Jerusalem. This is the final time that Jesus will enter Jerusalem in his physical body as he came as one of us. Right before he came into Jerusalem, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And people got so excited. Here's our Messiah raising somebody who was rotting in a tomb from the dead. And they were so excited, they started talking about it. This is the Messiah that's going to free us from the Roman rule. This is the Messiah that's going to establish the kingdom of David and make our nation great once again. And they were all getting excited. And Jesus just kind of withdrew from them and disappeared from the public setting. And right before the Passover, he showed up again. And people got excited again. And he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey on a colt of a donkey that nobody's ever ridden, as a sign of a king that's coming in peace. So let me read you the Old Testament prophecy that John actually mentions about how the Messiah will be coming on into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 through 11. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So everybody knew that this Jesus, who just raised somebody from the dead, in fact, a few months ago, he just fed 5,000 people with two loaves of bread and five pieces of fish. This is the Messiah that our God had promised us through the prophets. And as Jesus came in on a donkey into Jerusalem, everybody was excited, saying, Hosanna, save us. It was a term prescribed to Messiah, and they were saying, this is the promised one, this is the deliverer that's going to come. But then the second passage of the very prophecy, this is what it says, He will speak peace to the Gentiles, his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set prisoners free from the waterless pit. What Zechariah was saying, hey, your Messiah will come on a donkey into Jerusalem, but he's going to set up a kingdom, and that kingdom is going to be from sea to sea, and it's going to be for everybody, including all the Gentiles. It's not just going to be for the nation of Israel. In fact, he's going to give water to all the prisoners that were in a pit without water. All these people that were dying of thirst in a pit or like a grave, Jesus is going to come, this Messiah is going to come, and he's going to give water to everybody. In fact, this is the new covenant that God promised nation of Israel. So new covenant is what? New covenant is that God would forget all the sins that people have committed against him. He will be merciful towards them. He will promise them to write His law into the hearts of men. And He's going to enable them to keep that law. He's going to enable them to live in a level of righteousness that is satisfactory to the highest standard that He has. Because people can't keep it, what God is saying, I'm going to give you a new covenant. In fact, I'm going to do everything for you. And when my deliverer that I sent to you comes, 
he is going to institute this new covenant that I'm giving you with his own blood. And that's what Zechariah was saying. So in fact, Jesus was entering Jerusalem triumphantly to die for all of us, to be rejected by the very people that were waiting for him. And this is really interesting because right after he enters, right after he enters Jerusalem, everybody's gathering around him and they're all excited and Jesus is talking to people and all of a sudden a group of Gentiles approach him and approach, approach him and talk to Philip and says, we want to see Jesus. Why do you think these Gentiles came to Jerusalem during the Passover? There were many Gentiles who had converted to Judaism and called themselves Jewish. But there were also God-fearing Gentiles that haven't converted to Judaism but were still seeking God. They were really interested in the God of Israel who seemed to be different from all the gods that the world had promoted. So these people who were hungry for the truth, who wanted to meet the Creator God, who wanted to know the way of salvation, the truth, actually came to Jerusalem and saw this Jesus and said, hey, maybe this is the Savior, maybe this is the truth provider that we have been seeking. So they approach him and say, hey, you're the disciple, right? We want to talk to him. We want to get to know him. Can we have audience with him? So Andrew and Philip come to Jesus and say, Master, there are people that say, they're not of Israel, but they're Gentiles. They say, we want to speak with you. Will you meet them? And this is Jesus' response. And I think it's really interesting because Jesus never says, yes, I'll talk to them. Jesus never says, who are they? Hey, bring them over here. In fact, he completely ignores their request and just starts teaching again. He says, this is Jesus' reply. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And Jesus has been teaching throughout his ministry that the hour of glorification is preceded by his death. The hour has come for me to die. The hour has come for me that I will face my death and shed my blood for all those who cannot pay for their own sin. And this is very puzzling because he doesn't address the question. But why does Jesus say, hey, all these Gentiles want to see you and get to know you, and they want to hear your teaching? And Jesus says, no, my, the hour has come for me to be glorified. The hour has come for me to be hung on the tree, is what Jesus is saying. Because the pathway to glorification lies the cross. On the pathway to glorification lies the cross, and Jesus must die. But this also answers actually the question, all the Gentiles that want to see Jesus, all want to have a relationship with Jesus, before the Gentile nations can do that, Jesus must die and make salvation available for them. Is what Jesus is saying. Yeah, they want to see me? Well, guess what? They will see me. They will get to know me when I am glorified. When I'm resurrected Savior for them, is what Jesus is saying. And he says, I tell you the truth, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is talking about himself. I'm like a seed, and I must die to produce more seeds. 
So some of you may know that we are missionaries with Ethnos Canada, and we live and serve among a very remote people group. Um, last year, I had lymphoma, so due to my uh, this cancer, I had to come out of the jungle to be treated. And during my treatment, the pandemic started, and we lost our access to our host country of Indonesia. So we're now in Canada, uh, waiting for things to normalize to try to go back. But while we were in the tribe, my wife and I gardened. And it is very difficult to get seeds into the jungle. I mean, there are many good seeds in the jungle, but it's not the food that we eat. We like lettuce. We like kale. Uh, We like different kinds of Asian vegetables that we like to preserve and make um, sort of like sauerkraut. You might know what sauerkraut is, but uh, kimchi, that's right. In Korea, we call it kimchi. It's very good. So we like to raise our own vegetables. But the seed, we have to mail order from the capital city or even from my own country of Korea or Hong Kong or even in Canada, we have brought seeds. It is so difficult to get seed, but you know this seed we plant and, and it fruits and it grows. And some plants that we don't eat, uh, with some plants we don't eat because we have to let it mature to bear more seed. And we collect the seeds to plant again. It was one seed, but it went into the ground and it died and it was broken up, and the plant came out, and it bore more seed for us to enjoy. And what do, what do we do with those seeds? We plant them again for the next round of seeds. What Jesus is saying is, I am the first seed of this new covenant, of God doing everything for humanity, because humanity is impossible. Humanity cannot become righteous on their own. So Jesus is going to be the very first seed that's going to fall to the ground and produce more seeds. Gentile nations around the world cannot see God unless Jesus dies and produces more seeds. And what are these more seeds that comes after Jesus? Death. Signify. See, Jesus said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be glorified, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit for those who believe in me. And through all of you, as the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will go out to the world and tell people about me. And those are the new seeds that comes from the death of Christ. And those seeds, the twelve, the apostles, will go out and they will die for Christ. And they will produce more seeds. See, when I, I went to Israel about 15 years ago, and I went to the very mountaintop where Jesus had called the disciples after his resurrection. He said, I will see you at the mountain. And they all gathered together. And there Jesus gave them the great commission, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and disciple all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So these 12 were tasked with 11 because Judas had died, the eleven were tasked to go and reach the whole world. How were they going to do that? By dying, by giving their life for Christ. And through their sacrifice, through their death, more people will be saved, and the Holy Spirit will live with them, and He will reach the world, and that group of 11 somehow ended up reaching the world, right? Their fruit of the labor. And it all started with the death of Christ. 
So unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So what that means is, hey, if you are really a Christian, if you are really a beneficiary of the death of Christ and his resurrection and his indwelling of all the believers that followed him, if you're a beneficiary of that, then we are tasked to also be that seed that must fall to the ground and bear fruit and bear more seed. Jesus explains a little bit more in detail. He says, the man who loves his life will lose it, <clears throat> while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whosoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So what Jesus is telling us is this. Hey, you want to be my seed? You want to be the continuation of my love for the world? Then you must not love this world. You must not love your own life. You must hate this world. The man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. But the man who loves his life in this world will lose it. I'm going to go back to my friends that I grew up with that attended church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evenings, Friday evenings. We were all Sunday school buddies, and many of us do not walk with Jesus anymore. Many of us do not influence the world for Jesus. Many of us, nobody knows that we were ever churched or ever knew Christ. What happened? They, cho they chose to love their life in this world more than the life that is to come. If you choose to love this world, you will lose it. Let me simplify that for you. If you choose to love life on this earth, only thing that you're going to live for is your funeral. Only thing that awaits you is your death. And you can't take anything home. You can't take anything into afterlife, whatever you worked for, your, worked for with the, all your life here. There's one couple sitting here in attendance, and my children, and he's a farmer. And whatever you've farmed, whatever profit you've made, you will not take it home, right? Um, I am in my 40s, and whatever I've worked with my own hands, actually, I, I really haven't accomplished that much, but whatever I've kept, for example, um, there's an album that I have from my childhood. I won't be able to take that home. All the memories I have on this earth, I won't be able to take that home. Billionaires, people who founded Google, they can't take that home. Only thing that awaits them is their funeral. So if you love this life, if you love this world so much that you're going to love it and you're going to invest in it and you're going to enjoy it, there's nothing that you can take. You will be in a casket and people will forget about you. How many of you in attendance, all ten of you, know your great-grandfather's name? Not the last name, the first name. Okay, how many of you know your great-great-father's name? Okay, zero. So, say about 70 years, longest that people remember you will be your great, 
grand grandchildren. If you have great grandchildren, great great grandchildren, you will be totally forgotten. So maximum seventy. You know, if you're a good guy or a memorable guy and you do something incredible, then maybe they'll remember you. But they won't remember your name. In 50 years or in 70 years, you'll be completely forgotten. Even your gravestone will be, be fading away and people might uh, develop a condo in that area and you'll be gone. What I'm saying is, if you live for this world, only thing that awaits you is your funeral and there's nothing you can take home. And why do you want to live for that? But if you actually die in this world for Christ, if you choose to love Him and live for Him, you will have nothing in this world that you can keep, but you'll have everything in heaven waiting for you. All the glory that Father bestowed upon Jesus is going to be yours. All the joy that the Lord, will, he, he Himself, will be enjoying because of all these people were saved and believed in Him, you will be part of that. Hate is opposite of loving. You can't love two things. Jesus said you can't love money and God. You can't love the world and God. You can't love this woman and that woman and have two wives. One person would be called a homewrecker. God wants to be the sole audience of your passion and your love. He wants to give you the opportunity to be that seed that can fall to the ground only to produce more life. He wants to give us that opportunity and the privilege. I, so, you know, um, because this is a farming community, I'll talk more about seed. I bought two kilos of Kentucky bluegrass, and I ordered them, and I took it to Indonesia. Indonesia grass is not very pretty and very nice. So I, I wanted to have a really nice lawn of Kentucky bluegrass. It's really nice. It you know, makes me feel like I'm home. And I had just two kilos of seed that I kept, but we kept them moving, so I never opened it. I said, I'm going to use this in my tribal location. When I build my house, I'm going to plant these Kentucky bluegrass seed, and I never opened them. And it took me, what, five years before we got to the tribe and built our house. And finally we had a little house and a plot of ground that was all muddy and jungly. And we cleared it and I said, it is time for me to plant these Kentucky bluegrass seeds. And I read the instruction and it says it expires in two years and it's been five years. <laughs> so this seed, I said, maybe, maybe they're wrong. Maybe this amazing jungle soil will give them life. And I spread them all around and not single one sprouted. <laughs> so basically these seeds went to waste. It missed the opportunity to die and to produce more grass. So what did I do? Threw them away. Our lives on this earth must be spent for God if you are a believer in Jesus and if the Holy Spirit resides in you. We cannot wait and say, hey, you know, I've met many people. If the Lord really calls me into missions or ministry, I will, I will, I will go. You know, if, if the Lord really, really convinces me that I need to start um, serving at our home church, I will do it. But right now, I'm really busy with my business. You can't wait. There is a time that you can serve God, and it's called right now. Jesus, or the Bible says, if you hear my voice today, while it is called today, respond. Don't be like my Kentucky bluegrass seed that I kept in the bag. It missed its opportunity. Its shelf life was gone. Jesus says, 
the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So don't be double-minded. Don't think you can serve the world and God. Don't think you can serve money and God. Don't think you can build your own empire of whatever you're passionate about on this earth and think that you can live for the kingdom of God. The seed that God has planted in your heart, the seed of truth, seed of salvation, seed of eternal life that God has given you must be fallen and planted in the ground for us to produce many more seeds after us. For God to use us for His righteousness, to expand His reach and to save the world, we must die to self. We must not love this world, but only be passionate about God. And that's all good, but let me give you some practical advice on how to do that. We need to be discerning. Because often we deceive our own selves. We deceive ourselves thinking that, yeah, I love God. I'm really passionate about God. Really, we really are not. Like my friend who wanted to be a fashion designer, she wanted success and just added God to it. So how do we discern that our passion is really God-focused or not? Well, it's really simple. Just look at your own life and see what causes anger. What, are you, what do you get angry about? Um, do you have control issues? Do you get depressed about certain issues? Do you get discouraged by certain things? Do you withdraw because things didn't go your way? Are there things in your life that make you really proud of yourself? Are there things in your life that leads you to, to be bitter? Because those are the things that you really love. You know, let's say there's a nice farmland that you really wanted to buy and somebody bought it before you did and you get really mad. You know what? You really like that land. You're actually in love with more farmland. See, the way to discern is just look at your own heart and see the fruit in your life and see what causes them. And that's what you're passionate about. You know, those little kids, I have four little kids here, one, one's kind of big. But, you know, there are times when they've thrown tantrums. I want that thing. I want that candy. It's a big mistake. But they have done that. Why? Because they're so passionate. They're in so much love with that candy or that video game or that TV show that they're willing to fight their siblings with, or fight with their siblings. Or disobey and just make a scene. You know, whether you're 70 or seven, you still throw tantrums. It's different the way it manifests itself, but those are the things that you're actually in love with. And for you to say, I love God, while you're throwing a tantrum in your life over these things that you actually love, you have to realize, no, I don't love God with all my heart. I actually love the world. That's one way to discern. And start asking the Lord, Lord, help me in my heart with these issues. I, obviously, my heart is drawn away from you and I'm looking to love the world more than you and it's, it's being manifested in my life. Then you must deny yourself and choose to follow Him by the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Because remember the new covenant? It's basically God saying, I'll do everything for you. Just believe me and trust me. And if you hate the world and love the Lord, you know what happens? 
You stop throwing tantrums. You stop building an empire that you can't take home with. In fact, what happens is all of a sudden you have access to other people. You gain access into their life. You get to work the soil and you get to plant and you get to nurture for Christ. There was a time uh, when I was in the military, one of my men that I was in charge with got really messed up on a project that we were doing for a three-star general. And I was in charge of it, but he really messed it up. So my boss started yelling at me, insulting my mother and my father and, and the rest of the things that I hold dear and said, basically, you're a worthless human being. Why did you screw up? In my mind, I'm thinking, I didn't screw up. That guy did. I just happened to be the guy in charge. You know, I had nothing to do with this, and I was very, very unhappy. I was very angry because the guy was very insulting. Military is the one place where you can be really insulted and you can't do anything about it. It's a very, the structure itself is very suffocating in that sense. And I came home so angry, so upset. And I told my wife, I can't believe this. The guy was so insulting, he was so rude. He thinks I'm going to do great work for him in the future. Forget it. I'm going to sabotage everything that he does with my own, you know, with all my heart and my strength and my mind and my soul. And I was very, very bitter. Why? Because I loved myself. I loved my pride. I loved my reputation. How dare he? So I must deny myself. I shouldn't love myself so much. I shouldn't love what I do in this world. And um, after talking to my dear wife and praying about it, the next morning, she gave me a box of, or a plate full of cookies to take uh, to the office. And I really didn't want to, but I had to. That's what the Lord wanted me to do. I loved, it. I loved him more than me. And my wise wife's encouragement really helped me. Anyway, I went there, and I said, hey, good morning, everybody. Let's work, work really hard. And here's a really nice you know, plate of cookies that we can all enjoy to start the day off. And I saw my boss. I said, good morning, sir. I really am sorry about what happened yesterday. That will not happen again. I will do my best to make sure that our product, whatever we produce, will be uh, acceptable and in good condition. And he knew he was really mean, and he knew he was blaming somebody else. But the fact that I was able to do that, I think it spoke something to him. And in a few months, he started asking me about life. You know, he's like 20 years older than me. And he's talking about asking me about his marriage and how it can be better. And we started studying the Bible. Because I love the Lord more than myself, because I love the Lord more than my own pride, somehow I had gained access to this boss that was actually very evil to me. Just a simple example. So, practically speaking, if you want to be that seed that falls to the ground and bears fruit for the Lord, then start examining the areas of life that makes you throw a tantrum Start examining the areas of your life that you think you're building your own kingdom and empire. And give it to the Lord. And yield to the Lord. And start choosing to love Him and love others in a way only God can. And then God will give you access. God will give you a plot of land for you to plant yourself and die for. It could be the mission field. It could be your neighborhood. It could be with your unbelieving parents and relatives or even in school, young people, in university or in classrooms. Just remember what the Lord said. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce more seeds.
And our lives here is not, our lives here are not meant to be for our funeral. It's meant to be for the eternal kingdom of God. So let's, let's focus, despite what's happening around us, don't worry too much. It's only an opportunity God gives us to look unto Him and live out His very life to show the world who He really is and what He has done. And um, that's our 15 minutes, minus 20. And thank you for your time. Thank you for um, opening your web browser and worshiping with us. And don't give up pursuing Him. And let's continue to encourage one another in the word and in truth and in our walk with him. So thank you. Uh, God bless you.